We're uh, in our Summer of Psalms uh, series, and uh, there's been a lot of good feedback so far. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember that Daphne came and shared on Psalm 121, and uh, Pastor Stu last week spoke on Psalm 27. And this week, as I got, began to prepare, I suddenly realized that actually it's not very easy to pick a psalm and to speak on it. So we could have been here um, all week, or I could have narrowed it down. I narrowed it down to two. And I was like, I cannot, know. I don't know which one to do. I don't know, shall I just do them both? How are we going to do this? And I thought, oh, wait a minute, I've got Connect Group on Thursday evening. So Connect Group, we did one there, and I'm going to do a different one here uh, this morning. So we're going to look at Psalm 103. Now, did you know I was speaking on Psalm 103? No. Wow, there you go. And uh, at one point I thought, okay, I won't get up to preach today because Taffy's going to preach it anyway. Um, but Psalm 103, so the Holy Spirit's doing something around this psalm and... Um, Just turn your Bibles there and we'll head there in just a moment. Let me just give you a bit of background and context to this. Psalm 103 was written, like many psalms, by King David. And we know for sure that it was David who wrote it. What we don't know is the time at which he wrote it or the series of events that led up to him writing this psalm. Now, different um, scholars and theologians will argue over what had happened just before he did write this psalm. And so some believe that he wrote the psalm after he'd been assured of the forgiveness of his sin with Bathsheba. That many of you know the account that uh, he has this affair uh, with this woman named Bathsheba when he should actually have been out at war. And she becomes pregnant. And so he tries to cover up the whole thing by having the husband killed on the front lines of battle. And the whole thing becomes incredibly messy and he kind of just gets his head down, kind of ignores the whole situation until one day... A prophet named Nathan came into his life and pointed out some stuff. I mean, Nathan was straight talking. You need a friend like Nathan who pointed out everything that had been going on in his life, but also assured him of the forgiveness of God, even if the consequences of his sin would have to play themselves out. And so some believe that after that moment, David wrote this psalm in in thankfulness for the fact that God still loved him and had forgiven him. Other people believe that he had suffered of a great illness and a disease, and he'd been healed of this disease. And so after that moment, he wrote the psalm of thanksgiving and praise. The reality is nobody really knows. And I think that that's a good thing this morning, because that means that this can apply to each and every single one of us, no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what our stage of life is, this can be relevant to us. So Psalm 103 We're going to read the first five verses and then pause a little bit and then do a bit more. So this is what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, as Taffy was speaking about a minute ago. Who forgives all our iniquities. Another word for sin. Who forgives all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Everybody say good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Doesn't that lift your spirits this morning to hear those words over your life. So David starts off this psalm with that statement. Bless the Lord on my soul. Now that word bless, the original word was the word barak. Which in Hebrew means to worship to praise, to, um, to show adoration. And so in your translation of the Bible, if you're reading from a different translation, a lot of them say, praise the Lord on my soul. The two things are interchangeable. Bless the Lord, praise the Lord, Barak. And so David in this moment is having a chat with himself. And you know, sometimes as crazy as it may seem, this is something that we need to do. Sometimes you need to have a long, hard, good chat 
with not somebody else, but with yourself. Just like we've been singing recently in that great song, Gratitude, Come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. I actually knew a lyric to a song, that's, that's quite amazing. Come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Sometimes we need to have a word with ourselves about where we're at, because sometimes we won't feel like praising. Right? Sometimes we won't feel like giving God our best or declaring God's goodness. You may wake up in the morning and feel like, I don't feel like giving it to God this morning because of stuff that's going on in our lives and stuff that's going on around our lives. But here's what David understood that we need to understand today. Our temporary circumstances do not dictate the character of our everlasting God. Let me say that again this morning for those taking Our temporary circumstances do not dictate the character of our everlasting God. In other words, God is worthy of our praise. Right? So God is worthy of your best praise when you've passed that exam. God is worthy of your best praise when you've got that promotion and that, that pay rise. God is worthy of your praise when you're feeling really healthy. God is worthy of your praise when you've fallen in love. God is worthy of your praise when the sun is shining, even in the UK. God is worthy of your praise when everybody's been nice to you. God is worthy of your praise when your life feels like it's got so much meaning and potential and you just feel so good about life. God is worthy of praise. But God is still worthy of praise when you fail the exam. God is still worthy of praise when you get made redundant instead of being promoted. God is still worthy of your praise when that relationship is over and has failed. God is still worthy of your praise when you're suffering with sickness. God is still worthy of your praise when it feels like you're surrounded by enemies. God is still worthy of your praise when life is empty and feels meaningless and hopeful. God is still worthy of your praise in those moments. Because our circumstances do not dictate who God is. And actually, here's what the Word of God teaches us. And we don't like this, but this is truth. But sometimes the times when you feel like it the least is the times when you need it the most. Talk to Paul and Silas. They're in a, in a prison cell for doing nothing else other than preaching the message of the gospel. And we dress this up really nicely and say, and, and they began to worship and they began. I don't reckon they felt like it at the beginning. Because there they are, they're completely bruised, they're battered, their skin is ripped open, there's blood, there's sores. And don't tell me for one second that the first 18 were there to, on hand to help them. They were rejected, they're like, God, we did what you told us to do and this is where we've ended up. Physically, they are so drained, they're tired, they're not in good circumstances. Think about the fact that they're in a, in a prison cell with others and so that there's noise, there's everything going on. And yet in that moment, I don't know who looked at who first, but one of them said... Yeah, but remember what David said. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. They didn't feel like it, but they still chose to worship God even in the midst of their pain. And as they praised him, you know the story of the prison doors fly open and then they get their freedom because they made the spiritually mature decision to praise God even in the midst of a battle and even in the midst of a pain. Sometimes we're so spiritually immature that something went wrong. Like, well, God, I'm not talking to you now. Like, like, it's on us. It's not on God. We're the ones that will miss out. God is worthy of our praise at every single moment. How many of you, how many of you go to the gym or, or like running or go running? Okay, these are the people to avoid in Javalicious afterwards. <laughs> Steer clear of them. 
Like, shall we go jogging tomorrow? I've got a friend like that, and I try and avoid his crawl. Shall we go jogging tomorrow? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's not here this morning, so don't tell him. Don't pass that on. He's actually moved into the road where I live. I mean, I can't escape the guy. He's like, knocked on my door. Shall we go running? No, no. Um, <laughs> but here's what you realise. Sometimes the morning after you've gone to the gym, or the morning after you've done your workout, the morning after you've gone for the run, you are in agony. Right? You are in pain. And the most logical and sensible thing to do in that moment is to say, I'm never going near that gym again. Or I'm never putting on those running shoes again. But actually, science will teach you and, and people will teach you that sometimes the best thing you can do is get straight back in the gym and work through that pain. The best thing you can do is put your running shoes back on and go for another run. And sometimes in life, because of the pain that we're feeling, because of the struggles we're facing, this may be relevant to somebody right now this morning, the last thing you do is feel, feel like doing is praising God. But the times when you feel it like it the least is the times when you often need it the most. And some of you may have stood during praise and worship this morning and thought, I don't feel it. I don't want to praise God right now because of what I am going through. But praise changes your situation. Praise begins to change your circumstance and it gives you a proper perspective. Because when I praise, I remind myself that God is in control. When I praise, I remember how he came through for me in the past. When I praise, I remember he is not alone, but he is with me. So David says, bless the Lord on my soul, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. In other words, David's not just going through the motions. He's not like, okay, we'll get through these songs, or I'm going to say this psalm, or I'm going to pray a quick prayer at the beginning of the day and get on with my day. He's not going through the motions. In this moment, everything about who he is, his mind, his spirit, his emotions, his body, is being directed towards worshipping his God. What a great challenge that is for us. So let me ask you a question this morning, not from a place of condemnation, but to challenge and to encourage you. Are you a fair-weather worshipper? And don't reduce worship to singing a few songs on a Sunday morning, because that's just an aspect of worship. We're called to live a lifestyle of worship in the way that we live and the decisions that we make. Are you a fair-weather worshipper who lives a life of worship when everything is going well and moans when everything's going wrong? Sorry, I know that's a bit hard-hitting this morning, but that's the reality. What a great challenge for us, because our temporary circumstances do not dictate the character of our everlasting God. And when we praise, we're reminded of who he is and all he does. And that's what happens to David in this moment. He begins to remember all the benefits of God. And he says, these are the benefits. You see, here's the problem in a natural sense. The benefit system in this nation can become so complicated and the form's so long and you don't, that so many people actually don't know how to access benefits or don't know what benefits are available to them. The same can be true spiritually. But as children of God, so often we don't understand or we neglect or we don't take hold of all the benefits that come with belonging to God. So let me make this really simple for you this morning, okay? We're going to boil this right down. The deal is this. Jesus has you covered. Jesus has you covered. Psalm 103 says, He forgives all your sins. Everybody say, all. all. 
He forgives all your sins. Now, if you want to do a deep theological study this afternoon, look up all the Hebrew and all of that in, in this for Psalm 103, and this is what you'll discover. The word all means all. Simply that. All sins. That means that Jesus has dealt with all of your past sins. All of those things that you did before you became a child of God. All those things where you didn't even know better. You were just living according to the darkness of this world, as the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. You were just living according to your sinful nature. All of those sins have been forgiven. But all of your present sins have also been forgiven. Those ways that you continue to make mistakes, involuntary or even voluntary sometimes. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just your past sin, your present sin, but all of your future sin, the ways that you're going to miss the mark this afternoon, the way that you might mess up tomorrow, the way that you might do the wrong thing next week or next year or next decade. Every single sin has been dealt with. The nature of sin and the act of sin. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus died once and his sacrifice was good for all times. In other words, his blood covered you yesterday, it covers you today and it covers you tomorrow. Amen? Amen. This is good news. You have been forgiven. Your sin nature has been dealt with. And crucified with Christ. And every action of sin has also been forgiven and forgotten. Now if that doesn't excite us, it's because we don't understand just how much we needed forgiven. It's because we don't understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. Forget not all his benefits. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. Just because, well, he'll let me off anyway. Jesus said he's forgiven all my sin, past, present and future. No, when we understand the forgiveness of Jesus, when we comprehend the grace of our God, we won't want to be around sin anymore. Listen to the way Paul put it in Romans 6 verse 1. Because he's talking about this in the book of Romans. He's talking about sin and how grace always outdoes sin. And then he says this in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, you know what, every time you sin, grace outdoes it. You can't out-sin the grace of God. So does that mean we should just go on sinning so that grace will cover it anyway? And if this is the pattern of our life, if we're sleeping around or accepting our addictions, if we're just in this place where we're doing stuff that we know isn't pleasing in the sight of God and we're cheating and we're lying and we're living with pride, whatever it is, and we're not even feeling any conviction or a desire to change, then the question is, has grace even made an imprint on our lives? Because when you understand this benefit, when you understand this forgiveness, you respond like Paul did in verse 2. He said, shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Shall we go on sinning so that grace just covers it? Every sin's forgiven in Jesus, so it doesn't matter. Of course not, because grace didn't come just to let you off the hook. It came to empower you to live God's way. Amen. Grace didn't come just to to cover up your sin and and to deal with it. It kept you from sinning. So so not just so that you wouldn't be held responsible for your sins, but you wouldn't continue in them. He forgives all your sins. We've got to remember this benefit. So the next time the enemy comes with condemnation, remember what you did. Remember how you messed up. Our response is, he forgives all my sins. Our response is, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. And the next time temptation comes knocking. Remember those fiery darts that we talked about in our series on, on the armor of God. Next time that temptation comes, we, we allow grace to empower us to lift up the shield of faith and say, no, no, that temptation isn't going to take root in my life because knowing this benefit of forgiveness not only changes your past and heals your past, but it also changes your future. David continues and he says, here's another benefit. He heals all our diseases. God is a healer of the body as well as the soul, and I stand here as a living testimony of that today. David then remembers another benefit. He says, God redeems our life from destruction. God is a redeeming God. Now, now David knew this in his life for sure. There were so many times when God stepped in and rescued David physically, emotionally, spiritually, and we can experience God's redemptive power too when we remember and understand this as a benefit for the children of God. God can redeem you this morning. God can rescue you this morning. No matter, I don't know what situation you're facing today. I don't know what, what may seem hopeless and everything else seems good, but this area just seems void of any sort of hope. No matter what situation you're facing today, God can turn it around. God can rescue you. He's done that for each of us in an internal sense. We've been rescued from damnation. But every single situation in this life, he can rescue and redeem and make new. And then finally in this section, verse 5, he points out another benefit. God satisfies us with good things so that our youth is restored like the eagles. In other words, what God does for us satisfies us in the truest sense of the word. And that satisfaction strengthens us. So David reminds us, God, he forgives. He heals. He redeems. He crowns. He satisfies. He renews. David reminds us that God is worthy of our praise. And when we praise him in spite of all that may be going on, we regain a proper perspective. We remember who God is and all that he's done for us. Now, verse 6, David shifts gears a little bit. And he goes from talking about what God does for the individual to how God brings righteousness and justice to societies. Because God relates to us on an individual basis, but he relates to us in the context of community as well. So verse 6 says, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. So David's talking here about the goodness and the mercy of God towards the nation of Israel. But here's what I want to pick out from this section. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Other translations say abounding in love. Now here's what David's doing. He's quoting from the Bible itself. Specifically, he's quoting from Exodus 34, verse 6. And you may say, well, well so what? What's the big deal that David quotes from the Bible? Here's the point I want to make to you. We need to daily remind ourselves what God has done for us. But we also need to daily remind ourselves what God says about himself in his word. That's why the Bible is so key. That's why the Word of God has to be sent to place in our lives. So that when we feel defeated, 
when life is difficult, we don't let the soul take over because the soul will so often be defeatist. The soul will so often be deflated and just, oh, it's happened again or this is the situation, this is how it is. We don't let social media or quotes on social media determine our future or outlook, but we put the word of God center place in our life and we suddenly remember, though I feel alone, God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He is not a God who abandons. He is always right there with me. You may feel defeated, but in that moment you say, not only am I going to remember how he's won victory for me before, but I'm going to look in the Bible at what he says. And he says, if God be for me, then who can be against me? He calls me more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And we begin to remind ourselves, we, we open up the word and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. That means he cares for me. He watches over me. He restores me. We begin to remind ourselves of what God says about himself, not what other people say about God. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. I love this verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Is that amazing thought again of the forgiveness we have received? David gives this incredible picture of God's mercy. Mercy being what God withholds from us. We deserved punishment, but he kept it back from us. And we get this incredible picture of God's mercy, that because of God's mercy, God has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Now, we don't know if David knew anything about how the world was formed or Anything that we know today, but here's the reality. The Holy Spirit who inspired him to write these words knew everything about creation. He was there. The Holy Spirit was there at the moment of creation. The Bible says he's involved. The whole Trinity were involved in the moment of creation. So that Holy Spirit who was there hovering above the waters and the void in that moment of creation is the same Holy Spirit who inspires David to write these words about the fact that he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the West. What a great picture for us that when God forgives us, that sin is gone. It's dealt with. It's finished with all because of Jesus. And so other people, you may have noticed this, other people are good at reminding you of your sin. You're going well with God. Yeah, but don't make sure you don't mess up like you did last time. Some Christians are so encouraging, aren't they? Some people, remember, remember what you did. Remember how you messed up. Your own mind will remind you. You'll be in worship, telling God how good he is. And your mind will begin to say, yeah, but remember how you lived earlier this week. The devil, oh, for sure, he'll come alongside you and whisper in your ear, you're not worthy, you're, you just messed up, you're always getting it wrong. But God says, Hebrews 10 verse 17, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Because they are removed as far as the east is from the west. That's why we worship him. I, I don't deserve God's grace and forgiveness. None of us do. And yet he chooses to give it to us anyway. That's why he's worthy of worship. Verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never even been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever 
for those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules over everything. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we've worshipped this morning. David says, God knows we're only dust. Now, if you ever struggle with pride, if you ever feel like, I just need to walk in greater amount of humility, take a broom and dust the floor. Now, if you say, I don't have any wooden floors, here's, here's something, you can do this floor. We'll, we'll let you do it. We can... <laughs> or dust a shelf this afternoon. And as you're dusting, this will humble you. Remember, God says, I'm only dust. If you struggle with pride, all of a sudden you'll realize, actually, in the... and yet the reality is we're not just dust. Because the Bible, by the same token, says that God is mindful of us. That Almighty, everlasting God is mindful of us. The book of Genesis says that God worked with dust. The Bible says that he's for us and he's got plans and destiny for our life. But here's what David's doing. He's comparing the fragile nature and the temporary nature of humanity with the almighty strength and power of God and the everlasting nature of God's mercy. This isn't meant to make you feel terrible. Oh, I'm only dust. Pastor Steve says, I'm only dust. The Bible says, I'm only... No, no. David's in this moment saying, God, how can I not worship you? How can I not come before you and adore you when I understand who I am and who you are, and yet you are mindful of me? And then David wraps us up, verse 20. He says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye hosts, you ministers of him who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David lists this out. He goes from strong to weak. He starts off with God's angels, God's host, God's work, creation. And he says then to himself, to his own soul, this command, bless Barak, worship, adore, praise the almighty God with everything that we are. Okay, let's bring this in. What do we learn from Psalm 103? Can we get the keyboard and we're going to pray in a moment. What we learn from Psalm 103 is this. God is worthy of our most passionate praise. Can I encourage you that when we're praising God, when we're worshipping God, to do it with everything that you are not because anyone tells you to not because the worship team are encouraged because you have an understanding but again not just on a Sunday morning tomorrow morning when you wake up don't be half-hearted about who God is that doesn't have to look like hours and hours you know you're late for work because you're just praising no no but have an understanding God you're amazing God thank you thank you that you are mindful of me Thank you for giving me another day. God is worthy of our most passionate praise. Here's what else we learn. The times when you feel like praising God the least is often the times when you need it the most. Some of my greatest breakthroughs in my own life are when I've chosen to praise God irrespective of how I felt. And in that moment, I didn't feel like it. In that moment, I didn't want to. And again, I'm not talking about Sunday morning singing the song, though that may be part of it. But I'm talking about saying, God, even in this moment where I don't understand, 
even in this moment where it's difficult, even in this moment where I've got questions, I choose to trust you. Do you know that's worship? That's praise. That's adoration. Here's what else we learn. As a child of God, we are forgiven. We are healed. We are redeemed. We are crowned. We are satisfied. We are strengthened and we are renewed. That's why Psalm 103, especially those first five verses, I encourage you, read over them. Let that be your declaration each morning. Here's what else we learn. Even though we're weak, though our lives in a grand scheme of things are so short and fleeting, God's love for us and His intentions towards us can make our lives significant. And so we come full circle to the understanding that we have so much to be thankful for. And our correct response along with all of creation is to honour and to praise Him when we feel like it and when we don't. Let's just close our eyes this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these psalms that we're journeying through over summer, Lord. And I just thank you for all that we're learning about who you are and all about who we are in relation to you as well. Father, I thank you that as this word has been spoken today. Lord, may it just sit in people's hearts and may we just meditate on this word. May we meditate on this psalm. And Father God, for those who right now are in a place of difficulty, in a place of despair, in a place of question, Father, I pray that they would, like David, find it within themselves to say, no, soul, you will praise Almighty God. Let everything that is within us, God, praise you in seasons when it's great and in seasons when life doesn't make sense. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for the precious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you today that we are forgiven, that it's more than just singing a song, that we are free. We are truly free. Father, thank you that you have forgiven us and forgiven us of our past sin, our present sin, our future sin. Father, thank you that when you look over us today, you see us as holy and righteous and blameless, not because of anything that we've done, but because the blood of your Son, Jesus, covers our life today. Father, we don't take that for granted. We thank you for this amazing gift, this indescribable gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Father, I thank you that in this moment, condemnation is just demolished. Father, thank you that you've given us your word that demolishes strongholds. And right now, Father, I pray, I ask that that word would demolish strongholds of condemnation in this place. Father, I thank you that right now, no matter what it is that we're feeling condemned of, Lord, for some it may be stuff that took place years ago. Father, would you free them by your Holy Spirit from that condemnation today? But when you look over their lives, all you see is the blood of Jesus covering them. All you see is your son's sacrifice. And so today, Father, we stand, as your word says, holy and righteous, without a single fault upon our lives. We are grateful, Father. We are grateful. So Father, as we step into a new week, We thank you for your freedom. We thank you that you satisfy us, that we don't need other things. You satisfy us alone. And Father, may the sound of our words this coming week be words of praise and adoration to you. 
Lord, may every situation that doesn't yet line up with what we're believing for and what you've commanded in your word. Father, I thank you that we will not see those things as having a victory, but we will stand in that place of knowing that you will bring to pass everything that you have in store for our lives. We thank you this in the precious, almighty, all-forgiving, all-powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Father God. Let's live a new week in His power. Amen. Have a great week.